Hello and welcome to the Dyslexia Mom Boss Podcast, the show that helps you not only feel empowered and knowledgeable, but confident and a boss mom in the dyslexia journey. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren. Welcome back to another amazing episode of the Dyslexia Mom Boss Podcast. As you all know, if you are dedicated listeners, we are in season four, and this season is all about international talks and storytelling. And I think it's just so critical for us to really understand the landscape of what dyslexia looks like globally, because it's not just an American or a North American issue. So today I have a guest whom I've known for probably about two or three years, whom I met on Instagram. Most of my connects I've met on Instagram. And she owns a nonprofit that does excellent work in a variety of African countries. And so as I always say, being a Black educator, I like to have representation on my show. I would love to introduce Sandy Dorsey. Sandy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm so excited to have this conversation. I want to kick off by having you introduce yourself and really share what brought you into the speech language pathology world. And then in turn, I would love for you to talk about your mission for Smiles for Speech, which I know is your nonprofit. There are a couple of reasons that I landed in the field of speech pathology. I originally was a broadcast journalism major. Oh, wow. Yes. And (laughs) during my freshman orientation, I found out about the field of speech pathology, and it just really tied into all of the things that I value, which is caring and helping people, communication being such an important piece of our daily life and journey, being able to express ourselves. And I had an uncle, my uncle Henry, who had Alzheimer's. And Mm -hmm. I would sit on the couch with him and just watch him seem like he was in his own world and I'd be trying to break through to him. And so I just was always fascinated by the way that people interact with the world and interact with each other. So when I moved to New York City after graduating from Howard University, which you know is very, very near and dear to my heart, (laughs) at the University of Tennessee, I moved to New York City and was able to work. My first job was working with young adults, like teenagers, in a school that had children that had very troubling childhood. And so I really knew that it was my calling because I couldn't believe that I was getting paid to work with these kids and just be part of their lives. After working in pretty much every area of speech, from my youngest client, which is a five-day-old baby, to my oldest, which is 102, Wow, that's a range. (laughs) (laughs) So after 20-plus years of that, I really wanted to move into thinking about children and communities that did not have access at all to these Mm -hmm. services. And I think that, you know, after a while, as speech therapists and educators, we can also get into that burnt-out space where we're doing And for me, it just was naturally the next step after my focus, which has always been underserved communities, 
to be able to feel like I was really making an impact. And the way that the families show us so much gratitude and the joy in their faces when they know that there is something they can do, you know, with their children, it's fulfilling in ways that I'm just grateful to be part of the communities that we serve. Yeah. I love how your love for communication actually brought you to your true passion Mm. because I do feel like when we're in college, some of us know exactly what we want to do. Like I have a very good friend of mine. When I met her in college, she was like, I'm pre-med. I know I'm going to go to medical school. I know I'm going to be a doctor, but some of us don't know what we want to do. And that journey really kind of unfolds. And I love how you had that love for wanting to help people, but really using that communication in a different capacity. I'm just thinking about your Uncle Henry and, you know, Alzheimer's and all of that. So I love that. And the underserved community is definitely an area where most people tend to kind of ignore. Mm -hmm. And I really want to touch on that. So what is your mission for Smiles for Speech? So the mission, the first piece of it is to support families and mothers that are facing very deep stigmas in their community and just being there to let them know there is something that they could do with their child. Then the piece of training either the speech students and also working alongside our colleagues in the countries that we serve for any new information or just areas that they aren't able to have access in their education. So their programs are much shorter and mostly based on children. A lot of them are, you know, the basic language disorders. And so when it comes to more specialized areas, I mean, speech is such a broad field, right? Then we support in those different specialized areas. But our goal is also to make sure, you know, due to the stigma, there are lots of families that are hiding their children at home. Sometimes you have children that have been hidden at home until they're 40, 50 years old. And yes, increasing that awareness so that these people that are living in the homes can, you know, experience the world in their way. We also offer online trainings, which we started since COVID and found them to be, you know, very impactful. Our first one had over 500 people to join. And so we try when there are countries that reach out to us and Right now, we can't go to every single country. <laughs> right, right. Um, right. It's a way to sure that we're at least able to connect. And I'm so proud to be part of this community where everyone will offer their expertise. And so I'm grateful mm-hmm. to people like you. You did the workshop yes. for us. And, yes. you know, yes. you touched so many lives in that one call and then that person reaches out and shares what they've learned to another mother and it goes deep into the village and you just don't know how far that conversation or that that workshop and that one hour how far that has spread yeah I think you touched on so many things that I definitely want to unpack as well and the cultural differences in regards to disability so yes I remember I think it was about three years ago I did a talk through Smiles for Speech. And since then, I've partnered with Africa Dyslexia Organization and have done a few talks virtually. And then I also 
partnered with a pediatric company in Ghana where they invited several different countries to this virtual conference. And I really delved into dyslexia, dysgraphia, and dyscalculia. And I think for me, being an American educator, I know that we have our disparities here in, you know, on American soil, but really seeing the impact, as you said, of what these families and communities need to know to not have it being a stigmatized area, we need to talk about this. And so I know in passing, you and I have kind of talked about, you've mentioned communities in Ghana and in Kenya, you know, feel that having a disability is a spiritual curse and mothers and people that work with disabled children become stigmatized. So I'd love if you can explore a little bit about what that means so we can educate our audience on how we can lead with love and not judgment. Absolutely. I started off learning about the stigma and just the very basic, you know, if a child has a disability, then that means that maybe the mother was a witch, the family was cursed, and it's the mother's fault. So Mm. in my first trip in 2019, that was pretty much what I was basing everything on. And Mm. since I've been in these Ghana and Kenya for the past couple of years, and now I'm able to more closely connect with mothers and ask them what their experience is. So I've heard everything from, it could mean that the mother tried to have an abortion and it didn't work. It could mean that maybe someone had HIV and didn't tell anyone and that's why the child ended up this way. They could be considered snake children and river children that should be thrown back into the water that that's where they live. And a lot of children, they're still facing this. If the child has epilepsy and is having convulsions, the community might mm. think that they are possessed at that moment. Like, yeah, right. I was going to say like a possessed. Yeah. Wow. They think okay. they're possessed okay. and then they again may throw them into the water. Even in Jamaica, when artistic children are, you know, their behaviors are showing, they're doing their thing, <laughs> the community they think that the child is doing it on purpose and the child is not listening. So now the child has to be put outside in the bushes until they settle themselves. So things have changed in Ghana. I think that, you know, they're now about 40 to 50 therapists. And when we first started, yes, I mean, it started with three and then six, 12 graduated. Oh, wow. And they keep on graduating. So they're spreading around. A lot of them are in a crowd. And so for the rural areas, they are still facing not being able to have access. Access, right. In Kenya, there are only 15 speech therapists. And again, they're facing stigma where we did a workshop in Eldora, which is seven hours from Nairobi. The mothers brought their children out that day. They have been hiding them at home. And one of the mothers that we work with she has become an advocate and goes deep into the villages. You have children that are living outside with the livestock because they are not considering them real people with feelings wow. and needs. And even in the north in Ghana, a child can be a year old and they're not letting them stay in the home. You can see them living on the street. So eventually we will make our way up to the northern region. But it's the children that are in the rural communities that really do not get any outside information about the children. And so they just hide them at home. 
and the child could spend a lifetime not experiencing the world. Yes. I mean, I don't know what the laws are like, but I know here in the United States, you know, that's where Child Protective Services exists. And I touched on this earlier. These are cultural differences. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned earlier in this conversation about how children turn into adults that are 40 and 50 years old who have been hidden. I actually remember I tutored a young man who had a traumatic brain injury years ago and the family was from India. And I remember the mother brought up, I think there was someone in her family that she realized it was backwards because this person was kind of like hidden from society. Mm -hmm. And I think knowing that her child was born typical and then had this traumatic brain injury, I think in fourth or fifth grade, that really changed her perspective on disabilities and how she wanted to make sure her son had access to everything here being in the United States. Mm -hmm. That was the first time I had heard hiding an adult because I think this adult had Down syndrome. And obviously that is very similar to the outbursts with autism and people assuming that you're doing this to embarrass me or to draw attention to yourself. So I'm just really processing everything you're saying as I'm listening to it. But I think the biggest takeaway for this podcast episode really is about the education piece. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where it's so critical for your work, my work, other folks in this field to continue to educate, educate, educate. And I think one of the beauties of COVID is everything really opened up virtually. So we had the ability Mm -hmm. to then connect with people to do these talks and make an impact. And I know I want to transition to getting your thoughts on the education system in the various countries that you've been in. Hey, it's your favorite podcast host, Dr. Lauren. Have I told you how much I appreciate you as a listener? Well, if I haven't, I want to tell you just how much I do today. You're the reason I come back every week with top-notch content with guests to help you navigate this DQ journey. But I got to tell you, Organizing and getting these episodes up and running doesn't come cheap. I have a fantastic podcast team that takes care of me and you to ensure that episodes are high quality and show notes are detailed and riddled with goodies for you to use and apply for your next steps in this journey. But can I ask you a favor? We'd love to have your support to keep the podcast up and running. You can donate as little or as much as you'd like to support the podcast. All you need to do is go to the link in the show notes or visit our website at thinkdyslexia.me and click support the podcast. And it will take you exactly where you need to be. Oh, and one last thing. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, and of course, share this podcast with others who are on the same journey as you. You've talked about how Smiles for Speech has made such an impact in several African countries. But from your perspective, can you share a little bit about how educators and schools handle language-based learning differences such as dyslexia in these countries? Well, one of the things that communities face is waiting such a long time to see that there may potentially be something that, you know, their child needs help and taking action. So I just had a call from a mother and her son is six years old and not talking. They'll say, Mm -hmm. oh, do you think that there might be something wrong? Or do you think that, you know, what should we do? And so we meet the children very late 
and then starting from that point. And so just even teaching mothers how to play and engage with their child or their language to develop is really the first step. And right, so they're going right. to visit the doctor and the doctor's saying it's okay if they're not talking, even though they're five and six years old or maybe even older. Just give it time. Maybe the child is stubborn. They say that a lot. Oh, he's just okay. stubborn. He'll talk eventually or he can do everything else. It's just that he can't talk. The schools, there are a lot of schools for inclusion here now that are popping up in Ghana. and. One of the challenges that has come just with these recent changes is that the stigma is still prevalent. And so some of the mothers of the typical children don't want their child to be around the other children. And they think that, and I just learned this about two weeks ago, that now not only might the child be cursed in their family, but also the person that works with their child. So if you even are working with that child, now you might be cursed. So if something happens, like someone passed away at one of the schools, everyone thinks, oh, it's because they were working with that cursed child. So really offering information, and we always call it collaborating and sharing information that might be helpful. And we do not decide if, what we are offering or sharing is the right way or the only way. We just say that maybe this information can be helpful to you. We also take guidance from the programs that we work with and from the community. So we ask them what they need and we start there and really follow along with how the community has structured their learning, you know, their learning process mm-hmm. and the way that they're handling it. A lot of schools now are so focused on inclusion that they're telling the parents that their child will eventually be mainstream. So this is something that we're facing too, you know, with education that maybe not every child will be a good fit to be mainstream. You know, right, we have to right. see, we have to take it one day at a time because the parents that are in the villages or the parents that don't have access, they want something that will help their child communicate. It could be as simple as, I want to know when my child is thirsty. I'm afraid. I don't know when he's thirsty. Right. Just very, very basic things that they may want. And then you have the other families that are in the influential communities that say, I just want my child talking. I don't want AAC devices. I don't want sign language. Mm-hmm. I don't want gestures. Unless you're getting my child to talk, then this is not working. So again, we just have to continue with the education about communication and things that they can do to help with the language development. But the community as a whole really is working together to shed light on these topics. Yes, absolutely. And like I said, I'm processing everything you're saying and trying to think of how I can really help and make an impact beyond the work that I have been doing. I do feel that this podcast is an excellent resource for people if they have access to, you know, a device to listen to podcasts because it's free. My mission is to get this information out to as many people as possible. And I know that I do have some folks listening in in African countries. And I know when this drops, you know, obviously people are listening to it now as it's dropped, continue to share this with other people because the more we know, the more we can really grow. Mm-hmm. 
So Sandy, you've mentioned sharing resources and information can really spread to other communities and villages. And that can save lives of children and caregivers and save lives. Yes. So what other advice can you give our audience who are, are excited to make a greater impact in this space? What we try to do is to make materials available that's appropriate for the country. That makes sense. Yes. So if there are materials that, you know, anyone listening to the podcast can share that can be adapted to the countries that, or if you're working with diverse populations, of course, for the people that you're working with to really understand their cultural background and what things they might be facing. For us, we create materials for each country that we work with. Basic as the materials can be, if it's just, you know, there's a way that we can incorporate the culture. Sometimes with stories or books, you know, we have to really make sure that, you know, the materials that the children are reading or that are being read to, the pieces of the story are things that would happen in their lives and that they would understand. So the more basic the book is, you know, with having visuals and household objects that they would see. I mean, in Cuba, they're still using things that are from the 80s. So even with, yes, so even with recent pictures, it really doesn't match up. You go into a home and they, the, the things that are there are things we may not have ever seen in our lifetime because they're very old and then they just keep repairing them. So if you show a picture that's shiny and bright and new, that would be so foreign for the child. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think about like the iPhone came out in 2007 Mm -hmm. and that was a long time Mm -hmm. ago. When you say the 80s, I'm like, yeah, there were no cell phones, there were no iPads. And I know that these are things in these rural areas they probably don't have access to, but that was where my mind went, where there's so much that has changed, let's say, since 1987 mm-hmm. <laughs> between then and now. And that actually makes me think about when I was a learning specialist at a school and I would go in and give teachers supports on how they can really differentiate their lessons for the disabled students in the classrooms. And some of these teachers were pulling worksheets and lessons from 1998. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that was like 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. We need to update our stuff. And I always equate this to if you go to a medical doctor, they're not going to be telling you information from 1998 or 1982. Mm -hmm. You want cutting edge research on what's going on with the cancer cells or what's going on with whatever. And it's the same thing with, you know, if you go to the dentist. So these are things that we fail, I think, as a society to understand, like there's a lot of value. And as you said, saving lives to have updated information. But in turn, we have to continue to educate people around this topic to know that when we're educated, we can make a difference Mm -hmm. and make that greater impact. So I really appreciate you sharing that. So Sandy, we are coming to the end of our episode. And this is just such a powerful episode of processing a lot of information for me, and I'm sure the audience is really either processing or connecting if they, you know, know the areas and live in that community to know like, wow, okay, this is what's happening, but I can make a difference. But before we close out, can you share a little bit about where can people find you? How can people connect with you? And if there's anything else you want to share about Smiles for Speech? Sure. So our email is hello at smilesforspeech.org. 
And then we're on Instagram at Styles for Speech. And that's where most of our trips, we have a mission trip coming up on July 23rd in Ghana. We'll be traveling to the rural areas in the Eastern region. And our website is smilesforspeech.org. If anyone in the audience wants to contribute in some way, whether it's through donating materials, giving a talk to any of the families that we work with, we are not doing as much teletherapy, but when we do have children that are in need, like I have a mother right now, Mozambique needs a therapist. We do like to have therapists, even if it's a one-time consult or two times, if anyone wants to donate any time that they may have to that, we would really appreciate it. And then, of course, there's always funding that we need. So. Yes, of course. <laughs> of course. Well, like, yeah, being a nonprofit. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say, being a nonprofit, you still need funding. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we need funding so that we can reach places especially in Kenya, we're traveling seven hours, you know, by road. We're a volunteer-based organization. All of our volunteers are paying for their own trips and we don't really have paid staff. We appreciate all donations. We will be having a comedy show in New York, if anyone here is in New York, in more detail on that. That'll be, yes, our fundraiser this year. Awesome. Yes. So all of the links to connecting and checking out Smiles for Speech are in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. But Sandy, this was an excellent episode that was very informative and really gives me and I'm sure our audience a lot to really process and think about. And as I said, I can't stress enough that both of us are Black women in this space and learning disabilities range from dyslexia to autism, they touch everybody, not just white folks, not just in America. Mm -hmm. And it's just so important for us to continue to do this work, to have our voice be heard, to show that we can make a difference. So I am just really grateful for your time today and your expertise and your storytelling because it's impactful. It's impacting somebody out there who's listening to this episode. So thank you so much, Sam. Oh, thanks for having me. And thank you for doing this important work. Yes, you as well. So tune in next week for another amazing episode and be sure to subscribe, be sure to download, be sure to share this podcast with anybody that you feel might need it. So see you all next week.